sort out your relationship with the world and with others. Set your guidelines for what that looks like. Then set the guidelines for how you are gonna treat yourself and behave. Okay, then start moving inward even more. Welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I am your host, Rosie Acosta, yoga teacher and teacher trainer, mindfulness coach, speaker, and creative writer. I am also the founder of radicallyloved.com, a website where you can go for more information about yoga, mindfulness, meditation, and lifestyle advice. On this podcast, we talk to people within our health and wellness community that are creating content through the ritualistic practice of yoga, meditation, or overall mindful living. We hope to create value in your life so that you can achieve your highest potential and live a radically loved life. To stay in touch with us, just follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Rosie Acosta and on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie. You can sign up for our newsletter on radicallyloved.com to stay up to date on future workshops, retreats, and latest podcasts. Hey guys, most of you know that I have returned back to a plant-based diet, so my beverage consumption has increased quite quite a bit. Don't judge. I know there's some of you out there that really enjoy beverages. So one of my favorite things to drink lately, which I'm consuming a lot of, is Four Sigmatic's new Golden Latte Mushroom Mix. It has shiitake and turmeric in it. It's totally organic, caffeine-free, vegan, and only one gram of palm sugar per serving. I love being able to travel with these little packets because they're really easy to make. All you need is some hot water. Some of the additional ingredients in the golden latte are adaptogenic tulsi, warming ginger, and a pinch of black pepper to support turmeric skin-loving properties. So not only do your insides feel amazing, but your skin looks great. Go to Four Sigmatic now and enter promo code RADICALLYLOVED, that's R-A-D-I-C-A-L-L-Y-L-O-V-E-D to get 15% off of your entire purchase. Be sure to check out all the other products that they have there as well. Hey listeners, we need your support. Help us by subscribing and rating to this podcast. Send us a snapshot of your review or comment and we will send you a very special Radically Loved gift. Send your comment to info at radicallyloved.com. You can also click on the show notes here on this podcast for more information. If you want to be part of our community, please click the link to our private Facebook group, on the show notes of this particular podcast so you can be the first to hear of upcoming trainings, retreats, and special Radically Loved events. Thanks so much for listening. I am so excited to have these two ladies on this show today because they've just written one of my favorite books of all time. Uh, Kelly and Amy, welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you, you for you. having us. Thank you. I, all time. This is a that's high. A, that's a, that's a high is, bar <laughs> for us here, Rosie. No, but this is this is really. I've always wanted. And look, there's a there's a lot of different sort of iterations of yoga sutras and different sort of um, translations, and you know, uh, all kinds of different voices. But for for I've always wanted to have a yoga sutras book that was sort of like um, real time (laughs) and that that felt very sort of um, it it felt very relatable and it felt like something that I could actually take in and digest as opposed to it being something so esoteric Um, you know and I just I've always wanted to have a book like this and I always kept thinking like god if if I could only find you know, a good sutras book that I could just go and, and just get another example. And, you know, I've been studying the sutras since I was 13 years old. So for me, I'm just like, you know, I've, I've studied all the different, um, the different variations and different schools of yoga's translations. But I really honest, and I'm not just saying this because you guys are on, I mean, I read this book and I was like, wow, like finally, this is exactly what I've always wanted. Just something that I can reference to that was real time and really made me feel better about not understanding it all the time. <laughs> wow. You know, Rosie, that's ex- if we were writing a book and we did, the topic wasn't even yoga, that's exactly, 
that's exactly what we hope the reader yeah. experiences. Whether this is a book on how to tie your shoes, like <laughs> if I want it, like this is how you tie your shoes. This right. is how you make bread pudding. Right. Get three really ripe bananas. You know, <laughs> rather than, um, you know. Without the step-by-step, I think, of recipes, you know. And uh, I'm just going to say that what you said is actually exactly the thoughts I had about 10 years ago in the middle of one of my teacher trainings when I was leading it. And I could just see that my students, I'd give them some homework in the training program, but I could see that they felt unsupported by the the text they were reading and didn't really know how to, what to do with it, how to swallow it. And so the early, early stages of this book for me, um, before I had even met Kelly, were to, was to have that intention and have that be a, a space for students to feel like, okay, I can chew this up and I can do this right now. So that's, I'm so thrilled. Thank yes. you. Oh. And, and I agree. I mean, we, we talk about this all the time. Our goal with the book was to make it modern, accessible, and personal. And for me, you know, and I had Kelly as an anchor in the, to keep, to keep it really, really present for me because I, I didn't want to take away so much of the um, the root, the rawness and the, the roots of yoga mm-hmm. and diminish it. In fact, I wanted, we would go back and forth. Oh I'd God. say, Kelly, this, I'm already, I'm already not doing enough. I need to go deeper. And one of the early times we were talking with one of our, I think one of our editors and yeah. I think one of the thoughts was, Oh, it's a bit deep. And I said, it is deep. It's yoga. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. we can make it accessible, but it's deep. Right. Yeah. So tell me how, why why this particular text there's so many yogic texts but for you for you guys and I'd love to hear both of you individually sort of what your relation is to the yoga sutras and and why this particular text had an effect on your life so Amy you can go first okay so like you maybe not since the age of 13 although I was reading eastern occultism the first book type first book I picked up was yes. be here now I was oh, about goodness. 12 years old. And I remember opening it and there was something inside of me where the only thing I can say is that I felt like I was home. I thought, oh my God, this is my language. And I didn't really have any exposure to anything Eastern growing up before that. And I came across the book at a friend of mine's house and I was thumbing through it and I just felt like something awakened in me and something made sense to me. And so I started, um, I started practicing yoga, um, in the early, late 80s rather, on television with Lilius Follin when I was young. And it was the first exposure I had to any physical hatha yoga, any of the asana. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like it made sense to me. And so from the age of like 11, 12, 13, I started looking into Eastern philosophy and occultism. And I pick up, picked up a copy of the sutras when I was 19. And I had been just starting my formal yoga practice with my teacher and reading it, I didn't. I knew that I didn't really know it, much of what was being said, but the application of a systematic approach to something made sense to me. Like I could understand that this was a philosophy that was. I don't know that I knew the word non-dogmatic, but I knew that it wasn't dogmatic. I knew that it was available to any kind of person, and that it was talking about connecting ourself with something that we probably ignore. And that's all I really knew as a, as a young adult. Mm. And so I started studying it and it came up in my first teacher training, which I had done when I was young. I did it in my early twenties. I did my first teacher training. So I was in a different place than I am now in my early forties in relationship to yoga, but it has always been the anchor, um, for me and my spiritual interests, whether it was in Buddhism or Hinduism, I've always gone back to it. Uh, just yesterday we were, um, talking to Andrea Ferretti and we were talking, she said, she has a couple translations of the sutras. And, uh-huh. and I said, you know, I don't think that a lot of us also understand that there are more ways to look at it. As you were saying, I think I have 20 copies of the sutras and how varying they are. Um, but anyway, to answer your question, it's always been an anchor. And, and most of it, the relationship for me came out of starting to become interested in Sanskrit. Yeah. And I would look at certain words and I'd start to feel like, okay, I know this word means truth, or I know this word means non-harm, or I know this word means um, ease or joy. And I started to look at what the translations in different parts of the sutras um, meant in other texts, and it started to make sense to me as a system for for everyday living. Mm-hmm. And so I guess those are the roots, those are the roots for me. Yeah. Mm, Kelly, what about you? I had the exact opposite experience. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think to 
truthfully, the more typical experience. I would agree. Yeah. yeah. So I, um, I had a very on-again, off-again physical yoga practice, and I started practicing much more consistently when I was working at USA Today, and I was training for my first um, long-distance run, and I, I went very much for the physical practice. And I stayed for all the reasons people stay, even though at the time I could not have articulated what those were or, or why I was there. And eventually I went through uh, teacher training and I was first exposed to the sutras in, in this training. And I took the book, I looked at it, I shoved it on a bookshelf and didn't look at it again. I mean, very truthfully, even though I, I understood this was the foundation of what I was doing on the mat and why I was doing what I was doing on the mat was somehow related to this text. I didn't mm. really get it. Yeah. And I think I started to piece it together little bits at a time with different teachers who made the philosophy more accessible. But it was definitely Amy who made the sutras for me more accessible and and relevant in her Dharma talks. And so, and that was like maybe what ten years oh, after you were introduced to the sutras, oh, probably 15, fifteen years. Yeah, kind of. I mean, it's really amazing. And I think I think that's largely because the translations that are available or that I was exposed to for the most part were very academic and scholarly. And I think now having a much better understanding of them, um, I joke that writing this book with Amy was like getting my PhD in the sutras. And so now I think I could tackle some of the existing existing translations mm -hmm. that are out there in a, in a different way than I you know, was looking at them. You know, ago. while I was listening to Kelly, I was also, I had another thought too, and that was that there's, we talk a little bit about this, that there's this promise in the sutras of um, being able to be at peace, and there's a promise in the sutras that if you do, a, do the work that you can live your purpose to a greater degree, and there's a promise in the yoga sutras that you can live with less suffering and understand the ego and um, release habits and patterns. Yeah. Live joyfully. Live joyfully. And yeah. so that, I think those promises that I could see and read in there when I was first studying them, that made sense to me. I knew that there was a psychological um, base to uncovering happiness. And that's really what the sutras for, you know, maybe listeners who don't know so much about the yoga sutras, that's really the base. It's like beginning um, a relationship with yourself through understanding how you think and through understanding how you act and a relationship between habits and thoughts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think if people understand that there's more to yoga and we, you know, with the subtitle is a guide to yoga wisdom beyond the mat. And there's so much, as you know, wisdom on the mat, but then we can begin to find and uncover that what we're seeing in our mind or what we're thinking in our mind on the mat is probably happening off the mat. And that if we can start to notice that there's a way that we can get outside of the things that limit us, you know, um, have self-love, yeah. feel like we can be who we want to be and arrive at a better person for ourselves. Yeah. And I feel like so much of this ideology or this philosophy is, is existent in all of the modern new age, you know, self-development sort of understanding of your own processes. I, I feel like anytime I read the latest self-help book or the latest sort of spiritual philosophy of how to live a more, uh, you know, a life with, with more joy and happiness. I see the sutras all, all over it, you know? So, so I think that's quite interesting um, that, that you guys both sort of found this as an anchor point, even though you both have different ways of, di you had different understandings or, or, different ways to relate to the text, which is also awesome because I feel like it's such a, it can be pretty deep. Like, like you said, before we started recording, um, Amy was talking about how this, this book was, it was getting deep, but it is deep. Right? <laughs> like, right. <laughs> so, so what were some of the, what were some of the, the portions of, of the book that you guys felt or, or where is sort of the heart of, the text that you guys found maybe it's the same maybe it's different but i'm curious as to what you guys felt the the sort of meatiness of the text was 
I think I, I'll say my answer without dis, dis, without uh, filling it in, so Kelly can think of hers too. I yeah. think for me, this is a book about um, the ego, and um, to me, that's the meat of it: is understanding ego and understanding the difference between who we really are as not only humans as human beings, um, but how spirituality comes into form and has to have a relationship with the ego because each of us have an ego and we're probably unless we're an incredibly enlightened being we're going to operate from a place of our individuality that can actually serve us but also that can limit us so for me it's about the exercises in the book the journaling exercises the investigation uh the self-study is about getting closer to who we are individually so we can actually really uncover our purpose and um <laughs> live joyfully it's that word that keeps coming up but yeah be at ease with ourselves so for me it's about learning the difference between the different parts of the way we see ourselves and the way we uphold ourselves I guess that's the heart see I did answer the whole yeah. thing I wasn't going to but I think I think that's the the quick meat well and, and I, it, it would even be that way for me even if it wasn't about specifically a 2,000 year old sutra text yeah Kelly I, mine I think is the the flip side of the same coin so I think one of the big takeaways in the meet for me was um, was that the divinity runs through all things. So, you know, my, my husband would come home and say, oh, how did the writing go today? And I said, oh, no problem. We just tackled what is God today. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but in tackling that, um, I think it really clarified some things for me. And I what I take from the sutras and what I really believe is that there is this thread of divinity of just pure goodness and pure love that runs through all things and all beings. And if you believe that, that informs everything you do. Um, it makes, for me, it makes me feel really connected and supported, especially through life's changes and fluctuations. And it reminds me to just get out of my way sometimes. And I just, that, that simple, yet not so simple <laughs> um, mm -hmm. idea, I think is really important. And then, and then for me, I think the sutras are saying, okay, how do you, how do you, feel that and stay connected to that and get out of your own way enough to feel that consistent, consistently more and more in your everyday life. Even when things go up and even right. when things go down, because right. as we know, they're going to do it. They're going to go up and down. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and in a world where the ego is the centerpiece of how we connect now in the world of technology and social media, how do you guys think we can stay grounded in this this philosophy and this this teaching? Uh, for me, it's humility um, and gratitude. I guess those are my two top ones because the minute that I get out of my humility in the sense of not not being humble in my skill or anything like that or being humble in my ability, but having humility for things I don't know and things I'm not yet capable of and looking to those around me and, like Kelly said, and being connected and not knowing that I don't know what's coming next. I think the, those things keep me really present and that's when things go better uh, and my ego isn't in the way. And, and then with gratitude, uh, we were talking about this yesterday. It's one of Kelly's favorite sutras, one of mine, but I think it's her top one. The idea of focusing on the positive, to flip things around um, – one of the sutras literally says to focus on the opposite, to cultivate an opposite attitude. And I think that's part of the gratitude for me, mm. which is a very modern, very modern scientific thing that we're studying right now is gratitude and happiness and um, what were we talking yeah. about yesterday? You know, yeah. the, having yeah. that that actually works. I think those two for me are how to keep the ego at bay. Yeah. You know, and be able to also honor honor what's what we are able to do already right I think one of the takeaways for me is that we're in this age where we think oh I've got to work on me first I, you do you I'm gonna do me first and then everything else will fall into place but what the sutras are actually saying and what the eight limbs suggest is the complete opposite is you know sort out your relationship with the world and with others set your guidelines for what that looks like 
then set the guidelines for how you are going to treat yourself and behave. Okay, then start moving inward even more. Then you can talk about your body and taking care of yourself and then your breath and then and then meditation. But you're moving outward in. And so I think I think it's a good reminder to flip the script sometimes. Mm-hmm. Shut off social media or or maybe it's not shut it off, but how are we engaging with people in the world through this platform, Mm -hmm. um, I don't think those rules kind of change. I think this idea of setting guidelines for yourself, whether you follow the the yamas and niyamas or you set your own personal guidelines, I think having a moral compass like that for how you treat others in the world and how you treat yourself um, is incredibly important. And then I think, again, if you're – if, if what you do informs that, if you've set those guidelines, then who you are on social media or who you are in the grocery store or who you are when somebody cuts you off on the highway, that's all the same. Hmm. Or at least that's what we're aiming for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's why we call it a practice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, this is so uh, apropos to the thing I talk about all the time because, you know, you teach what you most need to learn. Uh, about balance, about finding that balance and being able to, you know, understand when, when you have those moments of uh, being able to reflect and, and behave more wisely as opposed to react, right? Mm-hmm. So, so keeping the balance of going, 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 but also being able to retreat and rest and, and practice self-care um, I, I love that, you know, part of the root word balance means to dance, right? So it's that interplay of, of movement. So people a lot of the time think that balance is, oh, it's got to be equal parts, but it's not, right? And so I feel like this particular text and what you guys did with, with this particular guide was so beautifully written and brought together because I really felt that balance. I, and and I'll go back to what I said in the beginning. It made me feel okay about not understanding some of the things even now, you know, because I feel like I, this is still such a rich, rich, uh, philosophy that, you know, even just taking little bits in at a time and, you know, using the reflections that you guys have in the book, um, really helped prompt that discernment that is ultimately also what we're trying to achieve with yoga is to cultivate that discernment. Absolutely. And now a message from our sponsor. I am so excited to announce our new partnership with Teamy Blends. I am a huge fan of drinking tea. A lot of you guys know this already. And drinking tea has been an ancient remedy that has been around forever. It's the types of tinctures that I've had since I was a child. My grandmother would always make us teas for everything. And when Timi contacted me, I was really excited because I had already heard about the company and I knew that they really focused on creating the best quality of teas. And as I approach the holidays, many of you know that not only do I love to cook, but I love to eat. And so I'm really relying on these teas to help keep me healthy throughout the holidays. My favorite currently is the Teamy Skinny Tea. It has a blend of different leaves and it has yerba mate, oolong. There's some ginger in there. And I've been finding for the last 30 days that I've been drinking it, I've really noticed a difference in my health and in my body, which has been really great, especially because I'm always traveling and I'm always on the go. So for those of you listening who love tea as much as I do, I recommend trying Teamy Blends. Go to teamyblends.com. Or if you go to the show notes of this podcast, hit the info button and there will be a link to their website. Also, I would love to hear what blends you're loving. So always let us know, info at radicallylove.com. And now back to the show. So for for both of you in, in where you are in your lives, how do you guys find that harmony or how do you guys find that balance in your lives today? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know why. Two mothers of, a to- of toddlers yeah. and a middle school uh, I love that you- we have that. Yes. 
know more and more what takes me out of balance. And I yeah. think for me, if I pay more attention to like when I start feeling out of balance, then I know I pay attention to that rock, you know, like, oh, I'm leaning a little far over here more than I necessarily have specific things that I know are going to maintain balance. Because like you said, Rosie, things are, things are changing. Like, you know, it's like as soon as you figure out this one thing, well, that's, that period is over. Yeah. And now there's a new thing to master, you know, whether or not it in the beginning. So a good friend of mine today, she has a five-year-old and a almost seven-year-old and they both now went to school full time, mm. you know, as of yesterday. And she's mostly been a stay at, she's an artist and a stay at home mom, but she's like, I thought this day was never coming. You know, she, te <laughs> she texted me this morning, and that's her, and that's her world right now. Yeah. You know, and she's like, "I was like, you're going to be a new woman," and you know, I had that period before, and now I'm in a different one. So I think we're always making these adjustments to to be at a place of balance, which is really, like you said, a dance and a responsive place. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of it, um, as far as if I look at yoga, you know, the first two limbs, the yamas and niyamas. If I can't, if I'm struggling to uphold my moral code and yeah. my moral conduct, it's because I'm off balance. Like that means I'm not capable because I haven't, I haven't gotten myself into a better place. And so I, I think, I mean, that's so modern. It's so modern and it's 2000 years old. And, right. and I think these little markers, the text in itself, I think is here to help us know when we're getting knocked off center mm. and how to investigate and then what quick actions to take. Like if, I think if a reader can find two or three sutras that they're, they're in their pocket, and they use and pull out, like maybe for someone who falls into a negative spiral, maybe that is the sutra. Maybe mm -hmm. sutra three, 33 is good. Hold on to um, what's positive and, and begin to disregard the negative. Yeah. Or maybe for somebody else, um, understanding that there are states of consciousness that fluctuate um, based upon the lens we're looking through, you know, the state that we're in. Maybe they know, okay, I can recognize right now I'm making an assumption, or I can recognize right now that I'm falling into what used to happen. And Patanjali, the codifier of the system, talks just about those things. Yeah, you know, as as we could use them today. And I, I for think, you, I mean, do you have routine? I do have routine, but I was gonna hop onto something you just said. I, I think, I think what's really important is that the practice grows and expands and shrinks with you, with us, as we need it to. And so we actually encourage readers at the end of the book to like read it again, go through the exercises again, um, see how you change, because I do think that it's a very living practice. Um, as far as, as for what keeps me balanced, there are a couple of things, um, and they're, they're very suture related. I, I need, I, I'm better if I start my day with some sort of physical movement. Sometimes that's yoga, sometimes it's a walk or running or lifting weights, it could be anything. Um, we, in, in our family, we do um, nightly gratitudes um, instead of bedtime prayers. And doing that with a three-year-old is incredibly grounding because mm. as an adult, you think, oh, I have to be grateful for this big, grand thing every day. But you know what? He's grateful for time on the playground or ice cream. And it's a reminder that I have all of this amazing abundance, abundance of love and just abundance in my life. And so, you know what? Sometimes I'm going to be grateful for this amazing cup of coffee I had today, whatever it might be. And, and doing that with a three-year-old is a great reminder. <laughs> um, honestly, like, my gratitudes do not need to go a mile deep. They can be in it. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so, and then I would It's interesting because both Kelly and I are – we feel more comfortable being busy, you know, yeah. like we're familiar right. with that. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that for Kelly early in the morning, she knows that like coming to one of my more intense practices or she's got this beautiful gym in her house that she can use, like for her, that's grounding. And for me, exactly the opposite is I could keep going. When I get up in the morning, I have a much better day if I sit in front of my, um, I have a little altar in my practice space. If I sit there and just, um, don't move and get quiet and already watch how my mind is on its way to figuring out the rest of my life, mm -hmm. then I'm better off because I'm, I'm saying, okay, I'm going to let you go mind. I'm going to watch this go and kind of pay attention to what has my attention. Yeah. But at the same time, go against feeling reactive. Like I, I once was talking to a friend of mine who's a business owner who said, how do you know if you're a workaholic? And the number one answer is when you have time off, you 
you're so happy so you can get some work done. Yeah. You know, and so that's totally the definition of me. So for oh. me, it's I'm going to go against it. I'm going to not, I now have this space that I'm going to definitely take and not do anything in. Yeah. And that's grounding for me. It's so funny because my meditation practice is exactly the opposite. The opposite. <laughs> I have a, a an alert on my calendar uh, for about 5.15, and it, all it says is meditation, or meditate, I forget which. And that's my break between work and when the boys come home. Mm-hmm. And I've got to do it at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. That's so funny. At the end of my work day. Uh, do you have a routine, Rosie, that yeah, you do like what do that? You do? Yeah, I do. I have to. It doesn't matter what time zone I'm in because, you know, I, I travel a lot. Um, I have to wake up uh, at between 4.30 and 5.30 in the morning and I have to do my practice. I have to move my body for even like 15, 20 minutes and then I have mm-hmm. to sit and do my practice and I, 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 that's just my norm. I have to be able to do it. I'm a morning person. So for me, like doing it first thing in the morning, um, it's a non-negotiable. It really yeah. is at this point. I, I can't tell you the last time it didn't happen because it's been that long. That's um, incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. Especially with travel. That's incredible that you have that route. And yeah. don't, and- don't get me wrong. I mean, there are moments where I've, you know, I can take a nap during the day. So it's not like, <laughs> and I go to bed at like, 8 30 at night you know so for me it's that that is sort of my my go-to but um I I just I fear more what I would be like if I didn't right (laughs) then then the moments where in the morning I wake up and I'm like oh it's so warm in bed especially when I'm next to when Tori's you know if I'm home and and he's right next to me and I'm just like oh it's so warm in here I don't want to get up but you know I I've got to do it it's just it's part of what I do you know I had the lucky fortune of having really incredible early teachers. And um, one of my teachers, Lisa Matkin, um, I had the opportunity to work with um, with her in her home when I was doing my training and being kind of rooted in uh, the home of, of yogis. And I would come into their home office to do some work. I was, my at this point, I guess I was in my late 20s and or mid-20s. And uh, Lisa would look at me and she'd say, you didn't meditate. Go to the office upstairs, sit down and meditate. She's like, we can't, we can't work with you. And I learned really early on, like, oh, my teacher says, you know, like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not all the way there. I have to go meditate. So I think that's like, she's made some deep groove in me. Like, oh, if I'm going to be a good person, I'm going to go sit. Yeah, no, I love that. She could look right at me and see if I was in the, a clear space. What, because I had done my practice or I hadn't. Wow. Yeah. yeah, to me. So, and that actually ties into my next question to you both is this this idea of creating a sustainable ritual. You know, I'm sure it, it and I love hearing sort of the juxtaposition of both of your guys' practices <laughs> because I think it's really, I think it's, it's more often than not, we can always relate to one or the other. But I want to hear from, from you guys as far as what has been the how important has it been for you both to create a ritual and, you know, for, for teaching this particular text or just your life in general, and you guys both have had really incredible, successful careers as, you know, women entrepreneurs, as yogis. So how, how is a ritual important for, for us and our ability to succeed in life? The first thing I think of, explaining that to somebody who maybe doesn't have a ritual that they might say isn't a necessary one, like brushing your teeth or taking a shower, one that you, one that fills you in a different way is the analogy of something that needs to get plugged in to be able to be sustained. You know, none of us would ever think that it would be ridiculous that our cell phone would go on working forever without getting charged. And I think ritual is about plugging in. I think ritual ritual is about charging. And I think because we are beings of free will, we can get away with not having something that we feel recharges us or reconnects us for quite some time without maybe feeling the ramifications on a great level. We're, you know, we are really, really um, sustainable beings. You know, humans can make it through a lot and come back. But in that, until we have tried something that establishes us in plugging back into ourselves and getting reconnected, I don't often think we know that it is missing until we have had it. So if anybody is looking to feel like 
more present in a very simple day-to-day -day way. If they're looking to feel more even, um, I think there is no time ever before than now that we're dealing with anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. If they want to reduce any of those things, mm -hmm. find a way to plug in. And it, it, can, it can be anything. Yeah. But I think for me, that's what ritual is. It's having a routine that charges us, that plugs us in, and... Um, and maybe as a download too, you know, yeah. like a backup download so that we get into a clearer space. Um, I always say, I say this to my students, we practice so that we remember what we forget, you know, and I, that's true for me all of the time. And it happens, maybe the, both of you have experienced this too. Sometimes the days that I feel like, gosh, I have nothing inspiring. I just had a, a fight with my partner or I just wasn't the best mom or I could be kinder to myself, like, what am I doing? And I go and teach a class and get present. I feel like a whole nother person, you know? And I think teaching does that, practice does that. And the things that we get so entangled in and caught up in, they're not so powerful and not so strong. That's what ritual is for me. Yeah, I think that's right. It's, it's whatever you need to do to not necessarily plug in. I wouldn't necessarily choose that, but that's the wordsmith in me. Maybe just to download and recharge would be mm -hmm. the words. You know, one the of the plug-in for me is like plugging into divine. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh God, I was only I only plugged into um, the the left wire. Mm -hmm. I'm running. I'm running two dimensionally. I got I got to plug into the left wire and the right wire yeah so that I can be two-dimensional like oh here I am only I'm only connecting to the human part of myself the part that's always up and down and up and down yeah I gotta plug into that other part yeah but recharge is nice so uh, one of the things there are two they're interrelated that I loved learning about the sutras is that the last three limbs are essentially describing different depths of meditation and I feel like uh, an embarrassed yogi to admit how much I struggle with meditation. I mean, Amy knows my hardest pose is still Shavasana. I just mm. really struggle with that level of, of stillness. And so I felt very reassured by that, that, e that even the yogis thousands of years ago were like, it's okay. Some days you're going to be taken through your to-do list and you're going to have to really work to bring your mind back. And some days you'll fall right into it. And then the other piece that really kind of reassured me and helped my meditation practice massively is what Amy and I jokingly refer to as the or list. And in the book, we call it, it's the section on the antidotes, where Patanjali says, you know, the, the fastest way to samadhi is through, through God, through the divine. For all the rest of you, <laughs> for where every, every one of us actually is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> then you've got this. Yes. And he would say, you can do it through the breath, or you can do it through um, the sound of Om, or you can do it through um, thinking about somebody you admire, all these different ways. Yeah. And so yeah. when we were writing the book, I went through and I did all of the things that we suggested. And I found what works for me is a little bit of a combination. And I put on, um, I go to YouTube and I find a chant of Om and I put it on and it's the only thing on my computer. And I sit on the other side of the room and I, I work by counting my breath. And that for me right now is what works. And eventually as I calm down, I don't have to count my breath. It's just there. Um, and so that was really helpful for me in creating a ritual of meditation that, that actually worked for me. Um, and I think that that license, what the, what the yogis are saying, what Patanjali is saying is like, find whatever works for you, whatever it is. If it's a walk in the woods, if it's, you know, singing, whatever it might be, find the thing that works for you that helps you calm the crazy in your mind and do that consistently. That would be my big takeaway. I have one final question for you both. And well, actually I shouldn't say that because there's, there's actually like two more. Okay. <laughs> so as far as ritual in, in both of your lives, I'm wondering if there's a non-negotiable in there somewhere. I'm just curious. I probably should have one. <laughs> <laughs> I, gosh, I probably should have a non-negotiable. I have one. What's and, yours? And poor Amy has heard this a thousand times. 
we do bedtime gratitudes and that is non-negotiable. You know, we, we, my husband and I sit with my son, we do our, our good night book and then everybody has to go around and say one thing they're grateful for. And for me, that just ends the day off the way it should be ended, which is appreciative and very filled with love. And it reframes, it reframes the day in a much more positive way and leaves me feeling recharged for the next day. And so I think, mm. um, I think that's really a good one. And, and as he's getting older, we're adding in more opportunities to share our gratitude. So we now, um, before we eat, we say, thank you for all the people who brought our food from the ground to our plate. That's our very simple prayer. And finding those moments of gratitude, I, I'm excited to find more opportunity throughout the day to add them because I think, um, who is it who says, if the only prayer you ever say is thank you, that's the greatest prayer you could ever say. So for me, finding ways to express my gratitude um, personally to people, privately to people, and then in some shared way is a non-negotiable in my life. Wow. Does coffee count? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I am often grateful for my coffee. <laughs> That's my superficial um, ritual. ritual. <laughs> non-negotiable. Now, um, I guess for me, I, and Kelly's probably tired of hearing this, um, it's all about space. And I even have, you know, strong, strong discussions with my partner about it and, and having sacred space. And I don't know that, I don't know that he knows what that really means to me or what, you know, how each of us have our thing, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's about physical space, but it's also about, um, I, I need quiet space. My partner's a dog trainer. And when I met him, he, there were seven dogs in his house, I think. And you know, like two dogs barking is, is, a, can be a lot for me. Uh, so I know that a physical quiet for me each day is really, really important. And I, 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 I guess that's non-negotiable. And I journal every day. So I mean, even if I'm making journal notes about I have a, I have a manifestation journal. I have a literal journal that is more focused on what I'm doing in my physical practice. It's just a marker so I can track what I've been working on. And then I always have like one journal in my, my purse that – um, as ideas that just come in. So, but I'm, I'm, I think the physical act of me connecting pen to paper is, is um, very important for me in a different way than it is for Kelly as a profession. Mine yeah. is a little bit about an anchor. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. um, so my final question, and this is a question uh, for, for both of you, and it's uh, particularly around why I created this podcast, and it's related to yoga as a practice and as a, a spiritual path so the idea is that we are radically loved by source higher power mother earth whatever higher power of your understanding uh -huh. Th that the universe works for us and not against us uh -huh. and we are radically loved and radically supported so the question is what do you radically love and how do you feel radically loved so you guys can both it's a two-part question you guys can both answer it wow okay that's a tough one what do we radically love and how are we radically loved yes yes okay i'm gonna totally um chop up this line from a keen song but um that's what i was thinking when you asked that question there's a line that says when you really fall in love you're just falling in love with yourself and i love that line because we all remember the beginning of any like really exciting relationship when we're when we're falling in love and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you miss your plane your train your automobile it doesn't matter if you go without dessert it doesn't matter if you lose your job when you're in love like that trumps everything and you could it, it does you get a little note from the person you're falling in love with and your day is made and that line that that line to me means at that moment the other person or those other the others around you that are giving you that kind of love they've accepted you to such a you feel such acceptance right and i think that's i think that is line is totally true it's like we really are only that other person allows us to see that within ourselves and we need other people to see that within ourselves to come back to self but ultimately when we see our greatness i think i think that's radical love mm. Mm. 
So I would say because I, it's easy for somebody else to give you permission to be great. Yeah, and I you would know? say I'm gonna I'm gonna not flip side of the same coin like earlier, but kind of expand on that. I feel radically loved by um, family, and it's both the family I was born into and the family I've chosen and married into, but also the family that is that I've chosen that the, that are friends, right? That that might be the word, but they're family. And I feel I'm grateful and very lucky to have uh, an amazing support network and amazing group of friends. And they're my family as well. And I count my four-legged friend who's at our feet right now. Um, that, that definitely sustains me. And that's when I feel, I feel radical love towards those people and I think that is ultimately what is important is our communion with those people, right? If if the divine runs through all things, then aren't we so lucky to have this particular group? Um, and when we can see that in them, I think that's really important. You know, I'll tag team on that. I think when you talk about the family you choose, mm. you know, you choose that family because you can be vulnerable, you can be who you are and they give you space to be exactly as you are. And then when you, when you receive acceptance from them, that's love, that's radical love. Right. So I think to radically love yourself and somebody else is to have total acceptance of, of yourself and who somebody else is. Yeah. When you can be a hot mess about whatever's going on. (laughs) Exactly. If you have people, you can be a hot mess in front of, you are radically loved. Totally. Right? Oh, I love that. That is such a quotable moment. That should be the the tagline to our our season three podcast. This is so crazy. I love it. (laughs) Well, I'm so honored and uh, privileged to be able to talk to you both. Um, Again, I'm, I'm so grateful that you guys created this little wisdom work of art is so amazing. Uh, I'm so excited and I can't wait for everybody that's listening to this to get this book. So for people that want to get more information about you both um, and and where they can get the book or where they can get more information, where should they go? Um, so for anybody who's interested in following my writing, which is all over the map from health to travel to yoga, you can check me out on at my website is kellydenardo.com or on Instagram, and I'm at Kelly Denardo. And anybody who happens to be traveling through D.C. or living in D.C., I hope you stop by my studio, which is Past Tense, and the website is pasttensestudio.com. It is my yogic home and happy place, and I'm super grateful for Amy's studio because I get to have a home away from home with that. Um, my studio, if you're in the Midwest, um, that's where I am now, is called Tantra Wellness and Yoga, and it's tantramadison.com. And it's a good place, even if you're not in Madison, to take a look at my retreat schedule. I travel quite a bit, and I think both training teachers, because there's often not anybody who's more interested in what you have to say than a than someone in teacher training. Outside of that, I think probably my, my other favorite thing to do, although my, it might start moving podcasting might start getting bumped up on the list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm digging it. I'm digging it. Um, is to leave retreat because I think there's nothing really more powerful than taking a journey in community. And they're like little mini, um, sometimes deeper than training because there's no certification to worry about going into. And so I, we go deep in my, in my retreats. They're often very therapeutically based. You could go on a yoga retreat with me and have never done any asana before or read the sutras and, feel some transformation in a short amount of time. I, I, I could promise that. So I think if anybody's interested in getting um, on a beach with me uh, in Mexico or in yeah. – that's a, you can find that information out um, on my website. And I'm on Instagram too, at Amy Pierce. And about where to get the book, um, it's obviously on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And if you go to IndieBound, you can plug in your zip code and find your wonderful local – um, bookstore and Shambhala, which is our amazing publishing house. They sell it on their website as well. Oh, I'm so, so everybody that's listening to this, all of those links that both Kelly and Amy just mentioned will be in the show notes. So if you click on the info, 
scroll down, go to the show notes. All of those links will be on there. And I did want to announce for those of you listening, we do have five books that we're giving away. And in order to win a free book and have it shipped directly to you, just screenshot this podcast on whatever you're listening to, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or iTunes, and tag us in your Instagram stories. So you can tag me at Rosie Acosta, at Kelly DiNardo, and at Amy Pierce Hayden. Um, So, and if, again, those links will be in the show notes and you'll get a chance to win a free book and have it shipped directly to you. So thank you all so much for listening. And Kelly and Amy, you guys are both so incredible. Thank you so much again for being a part of this community and for allowing me to be part of your community and for connecting and being on this show and for creating this this incredible guide to yogic wisdom. Thank you so much. Thank you so, Thanks much, so much for Rosie. having us. We look forward to next time. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I'm so excited. Yay. Is there something missing in your life? Is there something that you want to do in the world to create an impact, but feel that it's overwhelming? So many of us walk through life feeling unsatisfied, overwhelmed, tired, and desperate for a deeper connection, but don't quite know how to achieve the things that we want in life. Join us this spring at the Dunsky Castle in Scotland for seven days of yoga, meditation, and yoga nidra, all focusing on finding your life's purpose. During our time together, we will learn how and when to take action, how to lead from our heart and not our head, how to break up with our inner critic for good, and dive deep into learning about desire and discipline and how this creates a purposeful life. For more information, go to radicallyloved.com or you can message us at info at radicallyloved.com, subject Scotland. We'll see you soon. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us, message us on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or on Twitter at Rosie Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes, write a review. We love doing this, so please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening.